0: Wired for Winning, celebrating the extraordinary minds of those with ADHD. Hi, and welcome to episode nine of Wired for Winning. We've got somebody, our first returner on episode nine, actually, Bridget Kalari mm-hmm. um, from the north of England. And uh, welcome back, Bridget. I'm just going to do the clapperboard. Clap and Bridget was, it's a pleasure having you back. It really is. Bridget has we had so much to talk about last time we we needed to do a second episode just to fit everything in actually so Bridget very welcome back uh, thank you for joining us in 2024 we must be doing something right that you want to continue to talk to me anyway um over to you let's let's see what else you want to talk about today um your stories and some actionable actionable things to help other people out there
1: Yeah, well, I mean, well done to you. Like, the reason I'm coming back is um, what you're trying to do, which is reframing the narrative about ADHD and the challenges as chances to learn um, and also how you can succeed still with the condition. So um, part of the reason I wanted to do another part two was we obviously focused a lot on my story in the first one and... There's a lot of knowledge I've gained along the way um in learning about myself and the condition that changed my life being able to understand myself that way. So it's something that I want to talk about in part two, so that if any listeners gain any value from it, then that's what I'm I'm trying to do with my career now, which is share knowledge and um and yeah, help people that might have been in the the position I was in, like in between, now, above, it doesn't matter. Um, It's all about supporting each other in the neurodivergent community, so... um, So yeah, that was the main message I wanted to get across today, because I found the most powerful thing for me was learning about... um, So I'm a bit of a nerd, okay? So learning about the brain regions involved in ADHD that actually explained my surface behaviours. So I went from mm. feeling frustrated at myself to actually understanding like the motor mechanisms of why I was struggling with attention and things. And uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's something I want to start with as well. I um. I'll come round to it, but what I'm doing at the moment, I spoke to somebody recently um, as part of this brilliant mind startup that I'm working on, which is helping neurodivergent people into work, uh, Mm. called Liam. Um, I'm going to take a sip of water for this, because Liam's story is one that I want to start with for a reason.
0: Mm, of course, absolutely. and what we'll do everybody is we'll share the details of this startup in the text as well and uh after the the podcast, if anybody wants to get in contact with you bridget um with any additional questions, then please feel free to do that and we'll uh we'll uh we'll we'll have bridget back to uh to answer them accordingly as well
1: yeah yeah so um at the moment we're in grassroots stage so we're Well, what I'm doing is a bit of one-to-one coaching with people. And this man, Liam, came to me um, and he told me he'd been diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 35. Before then, he'd been, I think, like in and out of prison. He had struggled. He'd been in trouble a lot. And when he was diagnosed, he said his whole life changed. He learned about the condition. He understood himself better he set up his own fitness gym and now he dedicates his life as a speaker talking about neurodivergence in the workplace because he had such bad experiences pre-diagnosis um and i just love that like the tenacity of of this man and his energy is beautiful um so that's that's an ADHD success story that I really just want to highlight because he was very impressive to talk to. Um, and and, it, and Bridget, but it it's leads not me just on to why I want to have this podcast. Yeah, it, can, if well,
0: I can just pause there for a second because it's not just a success story; it's somebody who has turned themselves around as well. Right? They've become <laughs> aware of their environment through their diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It sounds like. And actually, where they were not vibrating at the right frequency before and kind of fighting against physically and metaphorically against the system. Um, and, and because of that diagnosis uh, has understood themselves and actually now become a part of society that, that, is, that is helping others. And that's a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that.
1: This is um also just so you know you're a little bit blurry to me. I don't know if it's the same for you just to make you aware on the camera that's okay,
0: that's okay. um we um, we record we record separately, so when we do the when the final uh, edit comes out, you'll be in h d as well so don't worry, that's fine
1: okay, that makes sense. We can cut that bit but um you no, what you've just said that is something i found like there are so many neurodivergent people that have been through the system being let down by it that are now driving this change um in society across all areas the one that i'm focused on a lot is neurodivergence in the workplace um but it, as you just said it's turning life around and then dedicating themselves to it's almost like putting the rope down to the other people as well to sort of help which is what I want this podcast to be so something that really helped me um and everyone's different but for me it was learning about like the brain regions involved and like what their role was and the difference between ADHD brains and normal brains so this is something I want to talk about so obviously like With ADHD, you have typical symptoms like problems with attention and focus, um, organizing and planning, emotional regulation and motivation, which is a big one, and Mm. then social interactions. also because we can be quite um, impulsive with our speech and interrupt others and... So we know these are a lot of the problems we face we also have the strength part which is the hyper focus if something captures our interest tunnel vision the creativity um our unconventional thinking and constant flux of ideas our different perceptive approach because of these this different wiring leads to innovative solutions in creativity and then empathy as well. I feel like we have heightened emotions to others and we can foster deep understanding and compassion with them as well. So the brain region's involved. You've got the negatives and some of the positives. Um, mm. I don't, I don't want to bore everyone, so I don't want to start going through, like, here's this brain region, here's this. I'll try and keep it as succinct as I can. Of course. Um, I don't, like, many people might be aware of executive functioning difficulties in ADHD and that we have our good old prefrontal cortex development. So your prefrontal cortex is involved in planning, organisation, and attention control. And in ADHD, like, this region has actually been shown to have reduced activity, connectivity and less gray matter. Um, There is a Cambridge study on this, actually. So obviously that contributes to our difficulties with focusing and organization. Um, I found that fascinating, the actual study where you could see the difference, the less gray matter in the ADHD brain there. So, of course, you know, it's going to lead to the manifestations. then you've got some more abnormal parts of the brain, like the striatum, that I hope I'm pronouncing correctly. But I found this one interesting because it's involved in motivation, reward, and habit formation. Interesting. We all know this is this is a thing we do. with ADHD, um, but they actually found that there's abnormalities in the dopamine signaling within that area of the brain. So they like contributing to less motivation, reduced efficiency, hyperactivity. Um, And then I'm nearly done with this, but all of them together, because this is leading on to something, the thalamus, which is like the relay center of sending and receiving information to different brain regions. In ADHD, it may be overactive. And this contributes to our sensory processing difficulties and distractions. That one I found fascinating because I didn't know that. Like, you know, when you can't block out stimuli, or you'll be trying to do a task and, like, someone will do the slightest movement and it's like, squirrel. Like, it it turns out that's why. Yeah, Have you, know uh, do,
0: do you know the peck at a crisp thing? It just drives me insane. Or, you're right, the squirrel as well. It's it's like I want to kill somebody who's just touching a bag of crisps. I don't know why. It drives me insane. But, yeah, I'm okay. there.
1: Well, that would be right, yeah, because they've, they've, like, we can't um, filter out this sensory stimuli, um, hence why we get distracted so easily. And then... You've got the um, final one, anterior cingulate cortex. That I listened to a podcast on the Huberman Lab about this, and that one is too much detail to go into, and I'm still learning about it. I think this is like emerging research right now, and it plays a role in like error processing, conflict monitoring, and attention. And again, in ADHD, it's shown to have reduced activity, so this can impact. Impact the ability to identify and correct errors and to switch attention effectively. Found that interesting because I've made mistakes in the past and and made the mistakes again. It's almost like the error the error processing didn't happen. So it kind of validates. So they, those are some of the brain regions involved. That's like the boring bit. But the reason I say that is it validates the surface struggles that we have actually knowing that there's a structural like wiring reason as to why well
0: what's very interesting is that that last area of the brain that you talk about the anterior blah 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 whichever one that was there has been some research done on that where people yes like at like athletes who consistently do things that they don't want to do, like training? They wake up yes. in the morning and they yeah. do training. There's been resilience. evidence to show, yet yeah, resilience. There's been area. There's been a lot of studies I, I to listen, show. To you, oh, you saw that as well, where that area of the brain actually it, grows. It, yeah. Amazing. Think,
1: yeah, so it's one that you can, that neuroplasticity. It's not. This isn't a death sentence. You can actually like train your brain like a muscle so like you're saying there with the athletes um the, when they did the task they didn't want to do that area actually grew so it's interesting because it leads on to some of the stuff I talked about, um, yeah but the, the question brain, is brain
0: but the question is right and again i know you don't know the answer and i don't know the answer to this but if you can grow an area of your brain by doing something you don't want to do. Is it possible to mm. overcome ADHD by doing a certain set of things?
1: I don't know. Well, I like, I like that. I like that a lot. I might um, kill that idea the more that I talk about some of the other things that might be involved in ADHD. Please, but go ahead. <laughs> that's one let's come back to that so after I've talked a little bit more about what I've learned let's come back to that and actually because that's a really good question so even when I'm going through the stuff now I'm going to be thinking about this um so yeah the next like stuff I want to talk about is just there are so many different hypotheses about like ADHD okay so you've got your neurobiological ones which are the ones I just talked about um the genetic and environmental influences the way you inherit certain genes from your parents and how the environment can exasperate symptoms um growing up and then the alternative emerging hypothesis that i found quite interesting was like the gut micro gut microbiome research um so suggesting links between obviously we know gut brain access and adhd um so you've got these different approaches but like you'll love this one this is my favorite the default mode network which is an area of your brain at the back here
0: the back here and yeah the
1: task positive, task positive network which is at the front here which is obviously your, like, attention control focus, um, and this is where your amygdala is, your fear centre, your memory. Um, the default mode network, uh, essentially, it's a network of, like, brain regions and activities at the back, and it's involved when your brain isn't focused on something, so on any goal-directed activity. Um so, for example, in a normal break, in a normal person, I want—I don't like the word "normal," but you know what I mean. Like, in in a neurotypical brain, um, if they're like they've got nothing to do and they're relaxing, their mind might wander because the default mode network is involved in things like daydreaming, self-reflection, thinking and feeling about past or future events. It's more of like a internal. Um, system so in normal brains when they relax it switches on and that's where you have mind wandering and you can be thinking about this or that in adhd people um with our little short straw that we drew <laughs> this is interesting um it's actually been found to be like overactive which means that Even when you are focused on a task, Um, so the task positive network is the neural network that activates when you start engaging in a task that requires cognitive focus and conscious directed attention. So that's when you're doing an essay or something. Mm. Uh, In a normal brain, this is when the default mode network would switch off and be gone, and they can just focus on the task at hand in ADHD people, the default mode network is over, overactive. So it's essentially like pulling your attention between the task that you're trying to focus on and the mind wandering. So that like internal reflection, um, thinking about past events, the intrusive, oh, I've got to wash the dishes or, oh, this happened or things. So it's this push and pull thing that, um, I know people with ADHD know that feeling when you're trying and then your mind's wandering and you don't even realise and you go, oh, God, half an hour has passed. What happened there? There is a structural <laughs> reason for that. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stru- yeah. It, so that one, and I found out about that, it was a game changer because for me going through university, that's when I really struggled, was like, like, here's the task. And then my mind would wander and I'm like, why? I have no control over this. I thought I had no control over it but what you said before you can train the brain again to actually strengthen the task positive network so the neural network region brain um some ways of doing this are okay so there's a couple this one's interesting so we always hear mindfulness and meditation um is one there are different aspects of it. So one of them being when you're engaged in a task, um, try and focus on engaging with your body to become more grounded. So focusing on like bodily sensations. Um, And there's something about this that helps prioritize the the task positive network because it's keeping you in the present. So if you're like doing deep breathing or focusing on the way that you're sat in a chair or um just engaging your body in 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 a task you are then more like likely to stay focused on the present moment task at hand rather than be drawn into like something that happened in the past and then that involves catching yourself when you are in deep in thought so when you're doing a task and you catch yourself that you've mind wandered every single time you do that, is a win because if you do that more and more, you are strengthening your att- your ability to be able to switch back to the task. So it's like a muscle. The more you do it, the more you strengthen it.
0: So I, I have um, a couple of questions regarding this, Bridget, right? Good. Um, go the first question, and I'll, I'll keep it, it's deliberately in two parts. One, I'll go to the second one first, is how often... Does one need to practice that technique in order to so so like we go training, you go running or weightlifting in order to, to to show improvement,
1: how often do
0: you need to practice
1: this? In an ideal world, um if if somebody is at a point in their life where you're dedicated to trying to manage your ADHD symptoms This is something that you should prioritize, that you should have on a sticky note. And you should be trying to do this daily. Because if you do it daily, you're going to strengthen the muscle quicker. However, if you did it twice a week, you're still going to get some benefits, just not as much. It's the same as the gym. If you go to the gym every day, you're going to get results faster and quicker. If you go to the gym twice a week, you're going to get results slower. Um, if you go to the gym once a month it might not work. So I would say like at least like two, three times a week, but it's more about like catching yourself doing it. So anytime you've got to do a task, if it's something you wanna work on. Um so yeah, but to answer your question again, it is literally like the gym. So if you wanna fast results every day, have it on a sticky note. Like I've got mind wandering so i'm doing task i see mind wandering and i go oh right okay and then i'll do my deep breathing i'm in the seat i'm here and try that way um so these can be things like touch sight smell as well to bring you back into the present moment so That's the answer to that question
0: so that that I call that back back in the days of studying neurolinguistic programming that's called mm. uh, conscious brain seven plus or minus two chunks of information, so your conscious brain is able to handle that many chunks of information um before diving into the unconscious or the the memory center if you like but but the second mm. the first part of the two part question really was I often wonder whether, you know, if we take a model for a second and, and model it like a computer, sometimes you have to defragment a hard drive because there's a ton of stuff in there where you've got files all over the place on this hard drive. And 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 frankly, you know, if you, like us, I never close anything, right? But when I do, I don't think about it anymore. So I just wonder, is that because we've just got a bunch of stuff that we haven't closed out? I, and And if we do... Do we stop then referring back to that memory center?
1: So There is a technique somebody taught me that has made the world of difference. It is keep a plain piece of paper or a journal next to you. So when a thought pops into your mind, so something that you haven't closed. So I love the analogy of tabs open in your head, like on a laptop. I've always got so many tabs open in my head. So you talk about closing them. Um, the reason it pops in with that sense of urgency is because we know that we'll forget it if we don't take action then and there. So a plain piece of paper next to you, you can you can write it down to come back to you later, which then puts your mind at rest that you can close that and let go of that mind-wandering thing that pulled you away. So that's a really good technique to do alongside it as well.
2: Thank with you anything, for that. Yeah,
0: um, I, I keep yeah. pages of these all over the house. And they're everywhere, you know. Um, and uh, did did you ever try the elastic band on the wrist? Have you ever done that before?
1: I did try. Uh, I tried it for a little bit, but um, you know, like the hyperfocus interesting that you then put down. Yeah, was that. No, I, I forgot about it. So I, I stopped doing that, but I found that the paper um, technique worked same. for me
2: more. Uh, it It, but, does, like, it I, does. I might try doing it.
1: Actually. Yeah, um,
0: it's a it's a stimulus much, response.
2: I, I forgot, I forgot about
0: it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing I have as well is I don't know if you can see this, and this is a copper spring. And what I do is I I have it on my finger and I roll it up and down my finger when I'm trying to concentrate, and Ooh, and that's all I do. Like,
1: yeah. and it's so that's yeah. the grounding with the body, the physical sensation, like that's yes. the keeping you in the here and now. Um yes yeah that's a
0: that's a very interesting um i I think that was about five euros on amazon that thing and i I keep it on my desk and it's a it's kind of a fidget toy it's a it's a sensory thing as well and um and and, yeah yeah, and it it brings me back to now you know so anyway i digress myself sorry about that keep keep going
1: (laughs) i was going to talk about like As I go through these, like linking them together, because all these techniques that we talk about, there is no one size fits all. It's finding the right combination of things that works for each person. So I'm just trying to get out sort of like as much information about each. um... (laughs) Yeah, so I was going to say, I was just going to talk through some more of like, so we've done the default mode network and task positive that explained a lot. And then I'm going to move on to something called the dopamine deficiency hypothesis that also makes a lot of sense but I wanted to pause for a sec because I remembered um I wanted to say this at the beginning and it leads on to this next bit um Liam the me- the guy I mentioned made such an impression on me and what he said to me he just went um, ADHD people aren't broken it just means we do things our." Cr- we just uh, I'm butchering it ADHD people aren't broken it just means we do things in our own creative way like I love that so much because like it explains it leads into why I'm talking about this different wiring of the brain and how we do things differently we're not broken we're wired differently and we do things in our own creative way as a result like right what it, if
0: it, it No, but that's awesome. right? But I, I'll tell you this, Bridget, one of the things that I've learned over the years, and this is nothing to do with education, this is my own perception, and listening to other people, right, anybody out there on the planet who has been successful, whether they are neurotypical, neurodivergent, or, or whatever they are, right, anybody, and, and I live in Ireland, and, and there's a joke, right, about... And, and and apologies to anybody from Ireland here. This is not meant to be offensive. But there's a joke. And it is anybody from Ireland who is successful. The analogy is it's like being in a tank full of crabs, right? One crab starts crawling out of the thing and the other ones are pulling them down, right? Trying to bring them back. Yeah. And, and yeah. And the analogy with that with success is, is nobody out there and you talk to any motivational speaker, Mel Robbins is a great lady to listen to. Nobody out there is out there to help you, right? No one's coming to knock your door in the morning to get you training. You do it yourself. So what I've learned out of this, Bridget, is my own success, your success, is driven by me. How I go about doing it, I'm always going to get criticized, mm-hmm. you know? and mm-hmm. And I remember the 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 singer Pink talking about this as well, and she said the amount of criticism. Taylor Swift talked about this as well. You know, mm, when yeah. I was doing this album, you know, she said, everybody said it was terrible, yet it won Grammys left, right, and center. The criticism mm. that we get.
1: You yeah, know? you hit on something so powerful there, but, like, even if you think back to histor- historical figures, they were... Um, persecuted at the time for their ideas going against the grain and then they became celebrated after their time as like revolutionary. People don't like this is really important. People don't like things that go against the grain or the norm because it makes them feel and come as a segue. But a really good one, um, it leads back to tribalism, which is obviously um evolutionary psychology. You would have to trust your tribe and if somebody starts to behave a different way that's not familiar, or so for example, the friends that's chosen to start growing and be more healthy and fit and take on a new activity, it's unfamiliar, you don't like it. So people will try and hold you back or pull you down or shut the idea down because they're going, No, 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 this doesn't fit but the reason it makes them feel uncomfortable I think is um like Oh, i've got a few a few thoughts on that one being people like comfort and familiarity and it's safe um hence the structure that we of society we live in and the other one being jealousy in a way of or like i don't understand the mindset behind wanting to pull somebody down who's doing well like that's not something I can't I can identify with because I me neither celeb- I celebrate success I love it I think it's amazing so the people that do that I can't comment on because I can't I'm really good at identifying with p- different perspectives that one I don't get but um I love that you said that actually um and doing things in our own creative way and like paving our own way, which is what I'm doing with this startup thing. Um, Mm. as well. So, um, I don't know, maybe I could jump, I could talk about that now or I could go a bit through mother brain region part. Um, talk about
0: whatever is coming into your mind right now. um, Okay. That's the best thing. There's no,
1: there's no goal. There's Yeah. Because um, the this actually explains why I'm doing the boring nerd talk about brain regions. So, for example, the startup that I'm working on is called Brilliant Minds, and the goal is to get neurodivergent people into work, but into the work that matches their skill set at a market rate they deserve. Because quite often, neurodivergent people like autistic, ADHD, dyscalculia, dyspraxia. Find themselves in jobs, underpaying jobs that don't match their yes. qualifications or skills purely because they don't know how to navigate the social norms involved in the traditional hiring process. So, one of the biggest things that um, myself, other people, this startup, want to do is kind of like knock down those traditional hiring barriers um by raising awareness of like the accommodations you can make in an interview for example which isn't going to suit somebody with autism who struggles with eye contact or who struggles reading verbal or nonverbal communication or somebody with ADHD who processes verbal information slower, which is me. So I struggle in interviews because of that. It's, um, we end up not getting the job because of our symptoms. And then the businesses miss out on the insane skills and the insane perspectives that we can add to that business. Like why, you know, the phrase two heads are better than one. Why not a multifaceted perspective on a problem? That's what neurodiversity in the workplace does. So I can't believe businesses aren't catching up to this faster, to be honest, but the movement is growing hence being part of this startup. And, um, there's a lot of people already doing it, uh, in the field. So what I'm trying to do, um, personally is talk to neurodivergent people to ask what kind of help is missing ask what they need um ask what the gap is between their skill set and knowledge and the job that suits them and then brilliant minds i'm hoping because it's still at grassroots so it's evolving as as we learn more because i i and the directors we all want it to evolve to actually meet the needs of neurodivergent people and actually make a difference, meaning giving them the help that they need to get them into that particular role. So whether that's help with CVs, interviews, finding the right role, advocating for them, teaching them self-advocacy, teaching them social communication skills, whatever's involved in that is like, that's what we want to achieve with this. So this is why I go back to the brain and the different wiring, because it, can you see how the two correlate? Like, because we're wired differently, we struggle with the traditional hiring process because we think differently. Mm. Um, And a lot of the world isn't aware of of neurodivergent brains or or why this is the case, so they don't accommodate for it. But... um, Another one that, like, I want to talk about is, like, the dopamine deficiency hypothesis, which, um, again, I think a lot of people know about. Dopamine is obviously your feel-good hormone. So it plays, like, a pivotal role in the reward system. So this is the thing that can regulate your motivation and attention and reward perception because you're, you're getting enjoyment from the task that you're engaged in. There are two different hypotheses about the dopamine deficiency which i find quite interesting one of them is either that people with adhd have reduced dopamine release in response to a rewarding stimuli so that could mean that they don't experience the same level of pleasure from an activity making it harder to focus or there's Uh, something called impaired dopamine transporter which is in individuals with ADHD there may actually be an increased number of dopamine transporters which can remove dopamine from the synapse more quickly reducing its availability for signaling Um, so what this means is like it, it it's moving too fast like that one um it's moving too fast to actually be applied to the task at hand and 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 to keep sustained focus and attention because the transporters are moving it too fast and you're getting that feel good burst and then you don't so that's where engagement stops. Oh, um, is that
0: where the dopa? Is that where the dopamine high comes from? Then certainly I get that. I I can get very dopamine high. I mean crazy high. Yeah. And yeah. then yeah. So
1: yeah, this like this naturally leads into you saying that, uh, which is the interest-based nervous system. Um, this one was new to me, and someone pointed it out in a comment on one of my posts uh, that I'd like to give them credit for, but I'd just forgotten their name. Um, but I had a look okay. into it. An interest-based nervous system, and you'll identify with this, is we... Um, experience motivation and focus when we are interested or passionate about a topic or something that we're doing so for example what we're doing in the field of ADHD and neurodivergence is a passion so I like I've had feedback from um, people saying I like i smoke um because adhd you know it's one of those again dopamine releases i smoke i Mm. smoke a lot less when i'm engaged in these tasks because i'm in flow state i'm in hyper focus because it's just like it i find it so fun so rewarding so interesting and i'm learning along the way and i'm engaged and it's stimulating um so an interest-based nervous system is is that so rather than external rewards like grades or deadlines or praise the thing that actually motivates our focus is our interest and passion but this compares to which i didn't know a stress-based guidance system which is when you are motivated by deadlines um and stress essentially so um, because we have more heightened states of hyper arousal, uh, we're more sensitive to like negative stimuli, rejection sensitivity, you know, mm. emotional regulation. That can also be a motivating factor in making ADHD people complete tasks because they want to avoid that negative uh, result of a missed deadline or a punishment. So the two. <coughs> Are kind of like different ends of the spectrum. But I didn't know that because I thought it 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 no. was all about interest based like focus. I didn't know about like the stress based one. I know about deadline hyper focus, um as you probably do as yeah. well. My, my entire life when... is
0: based on that.
1: <laughs> it's often when it's a task that we're not like particularly engaged in, and then that's that Oh, so the two can be synergetic, because it's often when it's a task that we're not passionate or engaged in, but then the fear of missing a deadline, I know for me, because I've always been like an academic nerd, I've never, like, I can't not get that essay in, Um, maybe my stress-based guidance system takes over then, and that's the thing that makes me stay up until 5am to get it finished, so maybe the two are uh, synergetic actually, um found that just fascinating and could go into like more for all of those but like those are sort of the overviews of some of the hypotheses and then i have um because there's so much information you can see me looking at my screen because i've had to remind myself because i want to like sort of end on the solutions for everything that i've just mentioned i don't just want to be like hey here are all the brain regions involved and in why we struggle goodbye there are actually solutions and actionable steps that we can take so um
0: so let, let me ask you a question bridget um at, at, at this point mm-hmm. in time where you talk about you know the 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 interest-based system the reward centers the the, the stress and centers and so on and so forth my last guest a lady by the name of katie friedman runs a, a an adhd organization she has adhd herself and she runs an organization called gold mines and her and uh, her colleague alex campbell who's based in new zealand they they run courses for adhd coaches but their difference, their differentiator, if you like, is that they teach not only the activities around coaching people with ADHD, but also a, a, a very critical part around trauma management from stress-based induced memories that have happened as a result of that. And I, I, when she talked to me last week, I, I kind of picked up on it and went, wow, I get that. I get that. And it resonates with what you've just said around, you know, around the stress elements as well, because I, I I use the phrase, I use the phrase with her last week and I used it in a meeting um, earlier this week as well. I gaslight myself all the time, right? You know, forget other people, me gaslighting them or them gaslighting me. I gaslight myself all the time, right? Because my working memory is so bad that if I don't write it down, my recollection of something isn't actually what happened, if that makes sense. You know?
1: that. that ooh, so something I skipped over, you know, when I was talking about genetic uh, hypothesis and the environmental yes. one was actually the, um, what we go through in childhood, like, can actually exasperate like ADHD symptoms in this trauma way. So not fitting in, being bullied, struggling. They, this is all forms of like of trauma in, in a way. And I've even got it here. Like, um, stress can be seen as a signal for adaptation for people with ADHD. Um, because they're more likely to adopt new strategies or address or adjust their behavior to cope. Um when they when they are stressed um it's a learnt it's a learnt behavior and a learnt way of of getting through life and i think that when you said like unpacking this leads back to that so it's unpacking the negative learnt behaviors and coping mechanisms that we've taken on throughout life whilst not knowing we had ADHD and replacing them with the positive ones to actually support and manage your ADHD symptoms. So it's a Mm two-pronged approach there. So firstly, as you said, you have to unpack those learned coping mechanisms. And I had to do this, you know, when I told you about my sort of breakdown year, where I was alone with my own mind a lot. I. I had to question myself so much and I delved into my mind and I delved into what had happened in my past and I was trying to find answers um, and I unpacked a lot of it then and I cleared the space so that when I had my ADHD diagnosis, like, it was almost like a blank slate for me to start putting these new things in. However, I still have automatic responses from my childhood because that is you're born and you learn about yourself and the world from your early years. So I still have automatic responses to certain stimuli or certain events. Um, Mm. One of mine being rejection sensitivity. So if somebody doesn't reply to me, I may think, oh, they don't like me or I've said the wrong thing or, and it it used to send me into spirals where I'd, I'd then send further messages, whereas now, I've learned, and this is where I'm going to go into the solution part. I've learned one technique that's very powerful, which Mm. is the art of pausing. It's pausing between the emotion you feel or the impulse you feel, and then the action that you take. Now, again, this has to be trained. This is where meditation and mindfulness comes in because in ADHD, impulse control that's why i mentioned the brain regions we literally don't have that impulse control function in our brain so we've got to train it but if you do train that you create space to pause and actually think about how you want to react um and that leads me into i want to talk about emotional regulation following that so one can can i
0: can I just can I just pause you for a second there because that particular point that you made on on the on the, the impulse control I've never ever ever been able to do that and a few years ago Google introduced this thing with their email I don't know if you know about this where if you try and send an email after 10 o'clock you have to answer five maths questions before you press send have you come across this before
1: No, I haven't, but okay. Yeah, I can see where you can see we're going.
0: Absolutely. So two (laughs) things happen. One, by having to refocus on the five maths questions, and they're very simple maths questions, it forces a break in the impulse mm-hmm. control that you would have before you send. Mm-hmm. So particularly if it's late at night, you're sending, a, a let's say, an angry email or a, a very emotionally charged email. Mm-hmm. And by just having that break, you go, actually, I shouldn't yeah. send this now. And yeah, that was a same. brilliant interruption.
1: Yeah. Yes, because that, ironically, that's exactly what I was just about to say, but, like, in a different format. Like. Oh, sorry, go, yeah. No, but it's perfect because you've just, um, you've highlighted the concept as a whole, but like, I was going to talk about it in terms of emotional regulation first, where I have a list of questions, um, that I've written that I have in a place that's visible so that when I have an emotional reaction now, I look at those questions to ask myself before I respond. So I say, is this feeling based on fact or opinion? What evidence do I have to go on to believe that this is true? What's the worst case scenario? What's the best case scenario? And like, as I'm asking myself these questions, I'm not only reducing the emotion, but I'm also grounding myself back to the present of, of like logic and reason, let's say. So that's just for emotion. So I did it for emotion, but you can do it for anything. So um could, like you said and re- angry email. Go
0: yeah. On. Could you just repeat those questions again if you don't mind? Because I'd like mm-hmm. the the transcription yeah, um system to capture that for for the notes for yes. this session, if that's okay, because it's really important. Thank you.
1: No, it is. Um I can also send them to you if you want to add it into the transcript because the, the ones that I came across are so powerful. There's a longer list because it takes you through the Entire journey. I'm looking for my phone and it's like I can't get it up because it's there. But, um, that's okay. The question the first one is, um, is this emotion based on fact or opinion? What evidence do I have to go on to believe this emotion is a fact? What's the worst case scenario? What's the best case scenario? And I have more questions as well. What's the outcome if I respond in this way? What's the outcome if I respond in that way? Um, and then there is a series of 10 of them that I'll send to you. Um, I wish I could get them up, but they are on my phone. And it leads to the no, final that's okay. one.
2: What
1: action, what action makes most sense for me to take? So in in between me getting triggered, And asking those questions, I've now come to the logical reasoning of what the best response to the situation is. And a lot of the time it is actually that I have just overreacted because it reminds me of a past event in my life that I went through a lot and it turned out that it, you know, it wasn't something for me to believe. Um Mm. so Mm. that's helped. But I've slipped up since I slipped up with a very close friend with of mine um and he knows me oh bless him he actually has been watching podcasts and ADHD to learn more about it as well um and i slipped up when he didn't reply and he is really good with boundaries and he was like bridget i i'm always there for you i don't know where you're coming from like what is this and I went oh god I'm sorry I've slipped up this is what's happened and we communicated it and it was fine but there's still going to be slip ups so I think it's really important to highlight really important to highlight for listeners this is not a linear journey there is going to be like setbacks um, and ups and downs as you learn these techniques but every setback or failure is actually, like, a chance to learn as well. So if you mess up one time, you go, okay, I know I've messed up, so the next time it informs that. So it's not a linear journey. And the things that you view as, like, a slip-up that might make you go, oh, I I can't do this at all. No. Like, no. It's actually you slipped up once when you're trying so hard. Like, the fact that you're even trying these methods is something to celebrate in yourself so if you slip up once Absolutely. fine because you're still trying yeah. like that's really important to get across is this like self-celebration aspect of it um so that's most not emotional regulation i will send you that list of questions
0: um thank you for that. that that that's that's kind of cathartic in a sense and i can't believe that i remembered the um the the google goggles it's called actually for for google mail um you know you set the uh, time yeah. And, and actually, what I should do with mine is set it just to 24 hours a day, just because every email I send that may have an emotional element to it, um, you know, uh, that, that maybe doesn't have a positive outcome. So um, thank you for that. That's that's really useful. Yep.
1: So I'll send them a little post-it note. Is this true? What is What evidence do I have to go on? What's the outcome of if I react this way or that way? Like you can, you can simplify it just to a post it note like that that reminds mm. you each time. And before you know it, it becomes muscle memory and your new reality. And this is like, this is the ADHD success story that this isn't a curse. We can retrain ourselves. It takes effort, but like getting fit takes effort. Getting good at anything takes effort. Managing your ADHD symptoms takes effort. But so that's one of them. So um, I can move on to one of the biggest things we struggle with is focus and attention, right? Mm. Yeah. And I've gone through the brain regions as to why that is the case. The default mode network, the task positive, the executive function, like all of these aspects. That's great. That's good. But what can we do about it? This is like, as a listener, like, I I want to give actionable steps, not just like, hey, here's some information, but be like, okay, this is the sort of stuff I can implement. With focus and attention, one of the first ones being, as we discussed, distractions. So, like, it sounds cliche, but a clear, decluttered workspace, a clear, decluttered environment because it declutters your mind. Like, that's one of the most important things I found as well, um, to avoid distractions. It's also when you've got a big task. So something we struggle with is either starting on a big task because it feels too big um, to to approach, um, so we don't know where to start, or it can be... We, there's so much information, or we don't know the right route. Chunk it down, so like chunk it down into smaller goals, um achievable goals. Like literally your your whole project. Put it out. What? Here I am. What do I need to do to get there? Put some steps in there. Those are your little goals. Once you've done that one, celebrate the hell out of yourself because you've done that. That, that you've achieved that goal and that that increases the reward motivation system to keep going because you're like, yeah, I've done that. I now want to do the second part. I now want to do the third part because you feel good that you're getting it done. Whereas if you've got a massive piece of work in front of you, you're not going to get that reward until much later, that feeling of, yeah, I got it done. And in ADHD, we'd struggle with this thing called delayed gratification, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Like we need, it like immediately so in order to get it immediately chunking it down into something that like um by the end of today or in two days like this part of the project um i want to get done and then once you've got that done you get that reward system and that reward endorphin feeling motivates you to carry on to the next part and it makes it seem not as looming That also leads me into a technique that I've come across recently that I'm about to start trialing. So I've not trialed this yet, and it's called time blocking. And I think people might be familiar with time blocking, which is, um, you set a specific hour for a specific task. So let's say 10 a.m. until 11 a.m., I am going to work and focus solely on this aspect of my essay so it could be researching papers it could be one paper it could be in this hour I am going to read this research paper and make the notes from it and you've you've chunked that time if you haven't finished by the end of that doesn't matter because from 11 to 12 you've got something else in there which is because we all have multiple things going on. Let's say you've got an essay and you've got a presentation. Um, I'm thinking on my feet and as an academic, these are the examples I can think of. Let's say you've got a presentation as well. Stop. Between 10 and 11, if you haven't finished it, stop. Because 11 to 12, you've dedicated to starting the presentation. So whatever aspect of that, which might be creating the first slide creating the introduction slide that hour you spend on that and the benefit of this is it avoids boredom because we're on when we're on one like task for too long we get unengaged and bored you know the whole we like to switch multitask flip because of the tabs open in our brain this is why i think time thinking might work because it actually like like lays it out and allows you to do that in a way that gets the thing done as well so it's not negative it's actually proactive so i've not trialed it yet but i'm about to like i've got my sexy new calendar that i'm gonna um start filling in actually after this podcast and i'll let you know how that goes but um when i thought about it it, i I was like i think that'll work for me
0: I think it will, and I can test it. I, I am testament to the fact that time boxing absolutely works. I have time
1: for it. yes, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But but as we speak, I'm looking over here, and I have six calendars, right? One for. The podcast one for family one for business one for myself one for my son's school and everything is time box into different colors at different times and it works so as you know when people sign up to record for for the podcast record episodes on the podcast i only do it on certain days at certain times because otherwise, my inability to say no, as you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. is, uh, is is I always say yes, and if if I don't limit it, it overflows, yeah. and then doesn't. I don't get the enjoyment yeah. out of it, and I, I yeah. let people down, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I I, I I Google Calendar is my lifesaver. I have to say, I or say Microsoft, so or,
1: to,
2: or
0: whatever you, you use, that.
1: I literally I I don't know if you saw me but I typed that down. I just put get different calendars for different areas of life and tasks because like that I'm going to try that. That makes so much sense cuz I struggle with the overlap like and I'm running out of space already. So I'm going to do that, but like I think physical is working for me in the environment at the moment. So so yeah, anyway, thanks for that. I'm going to get different calendars. <laughs> um and then <laughs> you've got something on attention and focus as well with that is if you've got time chunking um time time boxing as you said and chunking information setting a timer on your phone because you can get lost in hyper focus so I found myself like starting on one research paper looking at the citations and ending up in the citation from that paper, the citation from that one, the citation to that, until I'm at, like, literally, the, I know everything about one sentence, when in reality yeah. I needed to just understand, like, the whole thing. Like, I've started setting alarms on my phone for, like, 40 minutes to snap me out of that not to stop me doing it because it's not productive. Um, I, don't... I enjoy it. What, what? yeah what's
0: the time delay on your on the, the video at the moment because i use this
2: right hmm. can you see that okay. i don't know it's a it's a what? pomodoro it's a it's a, it's a timer low, yeah
0: it's just a timer okay honestly and and timer? it just rings what's it? um 20 minutes what Every, no 20. task more than 20 minutes
1: that's kind of like kind of like that
0: What is it the pomodoro technique pomodoro technique i've discovered 20 minutes is my limit and mm. it's baby baby steps I, I i'm not afraid to say that actually if any more than 20 minutes and i find myself going down rabbit holes and if I go down a rabbit hole, I forget <laughs> things. I, 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 I'm, I, I, I will forget to pick my son up from school. Rabbit I will holes. forget that. Yeah. You know, the story, right? So, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Literally rabbit hole, like ra- honestly, so familiar. Um, that's so funny. Cause like, then it led me onto my like incorporate movement. So like a little break as well. So when, when you're doing the, time boxing or the alarm or whatever incorporate movement so exit the room get a change of environment go and get a coffee do a little like like anything um that's different because it gets you ready to then get back into the next task it stops it from being boring so like you say 20 minutes mine's 40 minutes and then i'll take 20 minutes um I mean, I can do like, honestly, I can do three hours, but I have to limit myself to 40 minutes and then I'll take about 20 minutes break doing something else. And then I feel refreshed to come back. Um, mm-hmm. So that's focus and attention. Um, The emotional regulation one, I think we covered a lot with like the, the self-questioning, which I'm going to send to you to put in the description box because I found that so powerful. I think that's something that a lot of other people will find useful as well, the self-questioning aspect. A lot of it that's is cathartic. about... Self- mm. Yeah. Pause and self-question because we've got to realise we're not always right. Like, feelings aren't right. Feelings are based on past events. You've got to question them. As you say, declutter the brain to make room for, like, for other stuff so that's part of that um and then obviously you've got the organization and planning aspect so visual planning tool which I've got this as like solution for emotional regulation solution for organization and planning but we're covering them all like uh synergetically right now so just saying that like so organization and planning visual planning tools so like um calendars like we just said the to-do list thing you you do have like technology apps that I know, are, so I, I've got one called Task but Some it should work for me because it allows you to, to have the different headers but it doesn't I don't open it, I forget to open it so I've realised I need physical too. environment um, reminders rather than on my phone it, and then it's interesting but routine okay so I personally i am speaking for myself I hate routine I hate feeling trapped in by it I'm a traveler I'm impulsive I'm I like to I'm adventurous um I like to do things on a whim if I feel like doing something I don't like routines (sighs) routines like good for me I need I need a routine so I'm like this is the whole thing. This journey isn't easy. You've you've got to face your demons and say, like, okay, do I want to continue struggling and not performing my best? Or, like you said, tackling the things that I'm, I don't want to do, so that um, resilience, the uh, articular, articular cortex, AAC, tackling those things to grow that, routine for me so that's getting up at the same time that's doing this um, time boxing thing that's meal prepping on certain days but then I also I'm in the process of like trying like again all of these methods together so at the moment I'm getting up at a certain time I'm doing what is it I'm doing I'm doing something good like the time boxing I'm, I'm gonna start Soon, um, oh, yeah, that was it. I chunk things down in smaller tasks, which is good. I've got my like timer um however, I also know that I need space for like impulse impulsive creativity, which is a beautiful strength of a d h d so do not confine that by like th- having to do this rigid thing, so i also um I'm thinking I'm gonna give myself things like. This is on a weekend. If I had a whole day, I'd give myself 12 till three to do my impulsive creativity. So whether that's doing a LinkedIn post, replying to people, um, writing an article for something, like calling somebody, cooking, whatever it is, I, I'm also carving out space for that impulse creativity because that's where our unique perspectives come through and um as again liam said adhd people aren't broken we just do things in our own creative innovative way and that's why we're valuable for organizations as well because thinking outside the box like
2: yeah
1: you don't want to change that so it's about managing I, i want to highlight these tools are just about managing and everybody will know what works for them or will try different things, but let's never ever change our ADHD, the positive of it, because it is brilliant. The creativity, the spontaneity, the hyper-focus, the high energy, the excitement, the, when you and I are talking, um, we, you know, we can go blah 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 blah, and we can interrupt each other because we're getting so excited, and it's the same with other ADHD people. I love that. I don't want to change yeah. that. Um No,
0: I agree. So, what, what, just, just, just going back to one of the points that you raised, right? And and uh, it's it's very interesting. It resonates so much with me. I don't want to be confined to having to do this thing at nine o'clock in the morning. and, And don't you dare box me in, you know, anybody. So what I do is, and I've noticed this throughout the podcast when I'm interviewing different people, there is a commonality. And one of the first people I interviewed, a gentleman by the name of Andrew Kavanagh, who works in the film and television, television industry, he does um, animations, which you think, geez, how does somebody with ADHD spend the time animating stuff? And yet he does it fabulously. He's won a BAFTA, you know, and stuff like that. And you go, wow. But what he said to me was this, George, I, my entire life is time boxed. But sometimes I just say, fuck it. And I deliberately sabotage the time boxing. And that gives me the creative freedom that I need. And I love that. So I think, yeah, time box away, right? But if you wake up tomorrow morning and go, do you know what? I'm not doing it.
1: That's okay. Oh, my God. I love that. And you could see my response straight away. And I think other ADHD people watching this will feel the same. That fuck it thing. When we say fuck it, that's sometimes when we do our best work because that's when we're going, I'm not. I'm not doing the social norm. I'm doing my creative way, and that's where the beauty and the magic comes from. So it does. I'm really glad that we highlighted and talked about that. That's really important. Um, And I think like these solutions, we've covered a lot of them, and then it's quite interesting because. I was going to talk about one for, like, social interactions. So, you know, interrupting or social cues, so knowing when to take your time in conversation. So, like, I know that um, I'll forget something, so I'll have to blurt it out, because if I don't blurt it out, I'll forget it. And that's not socially normal, and it's rude. Um, That is perhaps something... Like learning a strategy for that, I think, and I'm getting better at it. And I think you are you are as well with these podcasts. Like you let me talk, and I I know you probably want to jump in and stuff, but you you stay quiet and let me talk. So like you're an example of it's possible, and I'm getting better and better at it as well, which is more listening and trying and just really listening to them. And then by the end of it, like you know saying my piece that's something i really want to work on but the what? other part you don't know i don't think we should change ourselves i think
0: no you you, you don't know how that? absolutely you don't know how hard it is to sit mm. back and listen when somebody says something that resonates you know um i do have a question mm. for you actually i i feel <laughs> this is a very funny thing with the blurting i used to shame myself about blurting a lot. Now I don't. And I was sitting in a board meeting. um, I'm on a board of directors of a a mental health charity here in Dublin. And I was at a board meeting on Monday night. And all of a sudden, out of my mouth, and there were six people on the call. And I said, that's, there was ladies and gentlemen on the call. And, you know, on Zoom. And I said, why is it that all of you, your skin tones are matte and I am very shiny and greasy this evening. What is going on there? And they all started laughing, right? And it was just completely random blurting that just came out of my mouth. And I thought about it afterwards. And I went, ah, George, that's fine. Just move on. Keep going. Whereas in the past, I would have shamed myself for blurting something like that. It was, you know, and and, and talking about it now, mm-hmm. Bridget, it's inappropriate. But do you know what? I'm me and that's okay. Oh,
1: my <laughs> God. i I love that so much because I love that so much. The people, my friends, the right people in my life, they love me for that. They love the fact that I'll come out with like crazy socially inappropriate things. And they'll just be like, what the hell? But like in a really funny way. So like I'm very straight talking. I'll call, I'll call black, black and white, white when maybe you should stay quiet. Um, so pointing something out, like my face is shiny and yours is matte, like is like yeah what but then people go ah and then it's a humor thing like i actually think adhd people humor um not only has it got me through a lot of situations in my life using dark humor but i also think like making light of this so like you know i was talking about the brain regions and all of this like and the heavy stuff and then the solutions but throughout it we've both made it light as well being the like it's a journey but it's one that we should enjoy and be excited by because the potential, penen- pen- the potential is exponential. Like with these, That's the way the that we are already, if we train our brains and when we take on these different, um, solutions, like I think for me, like the time blocking thing might work. The, the different calendars, um, more meditation, more training that, a resilient area i don't know what i'm going to become but i know that i'm doing really well right now like already and that's exciting um and we are so unique in our own ways and we should not change that like the minute i met you like i got on with you straight away you were like so likable you were so genuine that genuine i find people with adhd um and autism are and very genuine. So like Liam that I was talking about, and I mention him again because you can tell what an impression he made on me. Um mm. he started the meeting and he sat back like this. And I don't know if he'll watch this or not, but he'll laugh and he's Essex and he was like Alright, Bridget. And I and I just went, Alright Liam. And we hit it off like because there's there's no bullshit. It's basically like um what it is is what it is on like we talk about real things and, and are vulnerable um with each other, which I think is is really valuable and beautiful, and something that I have recognized a lot of neurotypical people struggle with is vulnerability, and they're almost scared of it like they and I found this um this is a personal thing um i have now realized at the age of 29 why why people didn't like me sometimes growing up it was because i'm really perceptive and i can see what's actually going on and i will say what's actually going on whereas people prefer to like hide it but like i see that the weird little social games and interactions and I'll call it out and people, people are scared of that. They don't like it. And I'm like, well, why can't, why don't we... exactly. I'm like, well, why don't we just talk about X problem instead of like blurting around it? And people are like, it's almost like they want to hide that. And, um, I don't, I don't know. A lot of my friends are neurodivergent now and I'm learning like who, who to trust, who to keep around me because like, I'm a very trusting, open, empathetic person, and I've been taken advantage of because of that. And somebody told me, um, shout out to uh, Emma if she watches this, um, carry on being yourself. Give people your kindness, your empathy and support, and then see what they do with it, and then act accordingly. So if they mess around with me or screw me over or disrespect me, they're showing me who they are. And that's the point where I go, thank you, goodbye. Rather than still trying to help, which is what I used to do. So, this is what I mean about we're all learning from each other. Like, um, it's a knowledge tree. Like, the more we talk and share, the more we learn from from each other about how to how to survive and thrive in a neurotypical world.
0: Absolutely, I, I have a friend. I have a friend. He's Canadian. He lives in um, in in Texas, in the United States, actually. And he's—I don't know what he is. It, it, whether he's, uh-huh. he, but he's definitely. I love, I love he's,
1: this
0: he, he's definitely not neurotypical. And Matt, I, I, I shout out to you as well because you've been a friend for years. But Matt has an expression, and I love it. It's called open kimono, and it's oh. he is always himself and i don't know if that's from his canadian upbringing whether his is just his brain function just his genes his behaviors or whatever but he is always himself always and never gets ruffled um always is considerate and and of everyone around yeah. him and is magnetic to others and i i didn't learn that so, you know i grew up in the 80s um 70s mm. late 70s and the 80s when you know it was a very different time when behavioral differences were very physical uh and 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 you know did not understood and so on and so forth so now i yeah. openly tell everybody i'm adhd and this is what i do and, yeah. and and i care less about what others think as well if i'm honest you know mm. um It makes the
1: world of difference. You're you're owning your individuality, and I can resonate with that so much. Like I have friends that just are themselves, unwavering, and I'm like, how? Because like I did the whole masking, trying to fit in thing, because like I didn't know why I was different. And socially, you want to fit in, so I didn't actually like find the real Bridget until probably my mid twenties, and I'm still like finding and building on that. But one of the biggest things is being upfront about ADHD because it's not, there's nothing to be ashamed. No one cares. Like what I'll do is I'll go, I've got ADHD by the way, and I've got this weird tick. Like one of my ticks is I play with my hair a lot. So like I'll, um, I'll put it up, I'll take it down, I'll put it up, I'll take it down. It's just like a stimming thing but I'll tell someone about it, I'll go like, okay, this is just one of my weird stimming things, and they'll go, okay, and that's it, whereas before, I used to hide it, and sit there, and be like, this, and it's like, oh god, it's just, it's the world of difference, it really, it really is, Um, that's the key takeaway from this, so like, I have to say, my uh, phone. You can, I'm. Um, you can see I'm holding and balancing it because it's. Ten uh, percent. Dying. Don't worry. So, like. Brid- Bridget, the things that I, I kind I'm of just... want to end. On, if you have any further questions for me or or whatever, but I think the biggest thing is like authenticity. Loving our differences. Don't change them. Just learn how to manage to like you know so that we can do a bit better in in what we've got to do in a neurotypical world and to be the best person that you can be, which is exciting that's intrinsic motivation intrinsic motivation is when you see improvements in yourself and that's what motivates me um, so for example, I never would have been able to do a podcast like this even a year ago like and now I'm more expressive like I literally even from the first the part one you may see a difference um
2: yeah it's so great it's
1: about owning that being upfront, and yeah finding the strategies that were trial and error mix and match like it's different for each person and connect with people as well connect with others with ADHD because people can feel alone um Whereas when you start talking to people with ADHD who really get it, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to no. explain yourself. They just get it. And that is um, really, really powerful beyond words. And when you grew up not having that and now having people around me that I don't have to explain myself to.
0: It's so important, <laughs> isn't
1: it? Brid- Bridget, listen, I- I'm
0: delighted. That's been a wonderful episode I can't wait to watch it back um what I'd like to do actually is in a a couple of three months time maybe have you back as a moderator when we have a group of people on um all with ADHD and I've a challenge for you Uh, this is homework and 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 it's if you do it great if you don't do it that's fine too but what we're trying to do is is uh,